from the Times of Northwest Indiana and nwi.com slash podcasts, you're listening to Byline. The podcast about the newspaper's most fascinating stories and the reporters who tell them. I'm Kale Wilk. I'm Andrew Jones. And this week, let's get to know our electoral system a little bit better, shall we? The people who are elected will make those decisions on your behalf for two or four years. And the decisions they make, you'll feel right away because they'll pass a bill, it'll be a new law, and, you know, boom, you can get alcohol and or not. And we'll get a personal look at the people, arguably, behind our elections. I do know one thing about general elections is that you just never know until somebody goes into a polling booth, you know, what they're going to decide to do. In the way of preface to this episode, we want to take a moment to remind you that early voting is here, and this Tuesday our country will make hundreds of decisions about its leaders. You've had time to digest information media like the Times have passed on, so we hope you'll be headed out to act on that information in the next few days. Speaking of the next few days, Daniel Cardin is busy right now. It's high political season, a time where everybody cares about his job more than they usually do, which is interesting because right now, it's really hard to tell what's coming next. You know, one of the great things about being a reporter is you never know what's going to happen when you show up for work every day, especially as a political reporter. So just have to go with the flow and you know, try and stay one step ahead of it as much as you can. But sometimes things are out of your hand. I, mean, I, can't, I can't control who Donald Trump is going to pick for vice president. I can just cover when he does, chase, chase him you know, down the halls of the Conrad Hotel just to find out what's going on. We caught up with Daniel over the phone this week, and after we figured out exactly what he does... So, so Dan, are you a correspondent or are you a full-time person for the Times that just reports out of Indianapolis? Yeah, that's a good question. The second one. Yeah, I am a Times reporter based in Indianapolis. We had a chat about why he does it. I went to the University of Minnesota to pursue a doctorate degree in political science. Um, I took all the coursework. I taught at the university for a few years, but eventually came to realize that I didn't want to write academic articles that would be read by four people and have no effect on public policy and not really mean anything to anybody. When I was thinking about that, I realized what I enjoyed doing most was being a reporter. So I took a master's degree from Minnesota, uh, went to the University of Illinois at Springfield, got my master's degree there and applied for a job at the Times and have been working at the, the Times in Indianapolis for the last seven years. Daniel's day-to-day work inside the state capitol yields information that directly affects Northwest Indiana. Unlike most reporters at the Times, home base isn't the newspaper building in Munster, Crown Point, or Valparaiso. It's the legislative sessions and the political figures he's constantly on the heels of to stay abreast of the state's political pulse. State government is where the majority of decisions that affect your life are being made. And as much as we may be caught up in the flurry of the presidential election, Daniel points out the significance of what's happening here at home. The presidential race gets a lot of attention, or the Senate race, or who's going to be in charge of the United States Supreme Court. And the decisions they make do affect your life, but the day-to-day things that determine your quality of life, how good are the roads, how good are the schools, uh, will my plastic bag be taxed at the grocery store? These are all decisions that are made at the state level by state government. So those are really the races people should be paying attention to because the people who are elected will make those decisions on your behalf for two or four years. And the decisions they make, you'll 
feel right away because they'll pass a bill, it'll be a new law, and, you know, boom, you can get alcohol on Sunday or not. And that's why I like to cover state government over anything else. Daniel said something that struck me. Maybe it's an implicit truth about the elections, but it seems so distant in the middle of such a tumultuous political era. Here's how Daniel put it. Well, I actually prefer to report on governing rather than politicking. I mean, the politicking is interesting, but the governing is what actually matters. But we are in the election season, so fine. Let's talk elections. A central facet of democracy is voting. You get to make a decision and give your vote. Every four years, the largest and most popularized election takes center stage, the presidential election. So all those registered to vote come together, and the idea is the candidate that receives the most votes is the one who wins, right? Well, not really. But also, yes. Well, here's Dan again. You know, when people go to vote on Tuesday, they think they're voting for Hillary Clinton, or they think they're voting for Donald Trump when really they're voting for Mira Molesnik of Munster or Chuck Williams of Valparaiso, because those are the people who will officially cast Indiana's electoral votes. It's, um, you know, we'll watch the, you know, the electoral vote count, you know, on TV, on election night as they're, as the states come in, but it's interesting to know that there are actual people who actually get together at the state house in December and they actually vote. I mean, they all know who they're voting for. They're all party loyalists. They're all voting for the people they're assigned to vote for. There is an actual process where they go and they meet at the state capitol and they vote. And they send the record of that vote to Congress and the votes are opened. Uh, after Congress convenes on January 3rd, and uh, that's when the actual election is affirmed. An important thing to understand is that many of our institutions and systems were designed to be the opposite of what the original 13 colonies experienced under King George III. Basically, the founders didn't want anything that could conceivably be the same as a king ruling the country. So the systems were made to allocate power in different forms to many entities or people like our checks and balances in federal government, or the responsibilities of state governments over federal governments. One of those allocations of power, arguably, is the voter. So if the founders didn't want a king, then they'd want to give a lot of power to the voters, the everyday citizens, right? Well, no, they didn't want that necessarily either. In fact, they also feared a lot of control by the people, or as it was phrased, mob rule an uncontrollable crowd heavily influenced by something probably not in our best interest as a country. So they gave us the Electoral College. And even though it's changed over the past couple hundred years, it balances both sides. Sure, it doesn't mean that all elections are decided by popularity, but your vote, in a way, can affect the election. Whereby the way a state leans on election day influences the electors to function as a rubber stamp system casting their votes then for that candidate. Right, yeah, so Indiana has 11 electoral votes. Whichever candidate gets the most votes in Indiana gets those 11 electoral votes. But there's actual people who come to the state house in mid-December to, I mean, technically cast those votes. 
Yeah, they're, they're chosen by the political parties at the state party conventions that were held over the summer. And it, I mean, it's a, it's a real honor within the party because they're trusting you to cast your vote for the party's presidential candidate. And, you know, you, you end up, you know, in the history of the country. You're one of the uh, 430, 538 people who are casting a, an electoral vote in this election. So... So now that you know a little bit more about the Electoral College, we want to introduce you to the electors themselves, at least a couple of them for this congressional district. Democrat Vera Malusnik, she's from Munster, and Republican Chuck Williams of Valparaiso. Daniel did a small piece on them this Sunday, and he got a chance to chat with one of them, Malusnik. Well, let me ask you, how did, how did you um, get chosen to be an elector? I, I ran for it, and lucky me, no one ran against me. I was opposed to I got the petition. At the so, convention? At the convention, that's correct. Williams, on the other hand, has been an elector three times now, and, like his counterpart, believes in maintaining the electoral system. The interplay between the electors and the voters may seem like somewhat of a formality. Of course, the people pick their president, and electors know that. Daniel quotes Malusnik in his piece when he says, I do know one thing about dealing with elections is that you just never know until somebody goes into that polling booth, you know, what they're going to decide to do. She's right. You never really know. That tension is what's driving the nail-biting nature of this election. People will make both expected and unexpected decisions, and up until the last moment, it will be difficult to say just how the electors will be voting this December. Personally, Malusnik ran for this position partially because of a firm belief in health care reform. You know, one of them you know, has to do you know, with health care reform in this country. I'm mother of three children. Two of my children um, have had cancer. Um, I lost one to, to cancer, and uh, lucky that my um, second child, you know, still able to get insurance through me um, and be able to get affordable insurance. I was really worried about my daughter when she became an adult, whether or not she would be able to get insured because of her pre-existing condition. And so and that, that concern for, for me as a mother has gone away. Being an elector in this case means more than fulfilling a political role. It means standing up for something meaningful to your family or your community. And when it comes down to it, isn't that why most of us vote? However, it's not like everything with the Electoral College has always proven to go swimmingly. It's often controversial, usually, as Dan says, when the popular vote goes differently than the electoral vote, which has happened four times. The most recent example being 2000. Well, and you can have some crazy scenarios. So in 2000, when Vice President Al Gore won the popular vote, but lost the electoral vote. He was, as vice president, presiding officer in the Senate who had to open all those electoral vote totals from the states and announce them in the Senate and basically announce his own defeat for president, even though he got more votes than the other guy. Every time there's an electoral college misfire, like in 2000, where one person wins the popular vote and a different person wins the electoral vote. There's calls to get rid of the electoral college, usually by the party that lost. But, you know, the system has worked pretty well for most of American history. So what do we do? It's a weird mix of feeling in theory that you have power, but then in theory that you don't. And what does that say about the people that design the country we live in? Simply put, 
did they think we were just too stupid to properly organize and affect policy. Instead, leave it to the best and the brightest. It might feel that way sometimes. It reminds me of that one-bit TV host Jimmy Kimmel put on a show where people on the street were asked if they preferred Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act. And they're the exact same thing. And people were saying they liked one more than the other. It's stuff like that that's boggling enough to make you want to pull your hair out. People forget that the United States isn't a democracy. It's a republic. And it's a republic that is a representative government because the founding fathers didn't trust the people. They were very afraid of, of mob rule, of you know, people being led astray by demagogues. So the idea behind our entire government is that these, the people would choose these rep- representatives who would act in the people's interest and presumably act on behalf of the nation or on behalf of their state in a way that they wouldn't be as easily swayed by uh, the popular thing of the moment. They would look out for the long-term interest of whoever they're representing. But we can't always blame others for sometimes they haven't been given the same opportunities to be informed. But that's the key, being informed. And it's writers like Dan that listen day in and day out to our leaders talk, analyze what they say, pour over documents and research, and eventually churn out stories to break it all down for us. An opportunity to be educated. To be different than what we might have been conceived to be. It's what makes political coverage another important beat in what the newspaper can provide to its audience. Dan will be there, not to influence you, but to, well, we'll let him say it. Not influence in that I'm controlling the outcome, but I'm writing things that people are reading that uh, inform the public in a way that academic publications don't, or at the very least gets them to think about public policy. Byline is a production of the Times of Northwest Indiana. We have new episodes out every Monday, and they can be found at nwi.com slash podcasts. Byline is also on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can find us on any of those by typing in NWI Byline in the search bar. If you've got a media player and want to download any episodes, our podcast is on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. We kindly ask that you rate us and leave a review because uh, it actually helps. We would also love to hear from you. Whether that's constructive comments, feedback, or suggestions for topics you're interested in hearing more about, just send us an email to nwibyline at gmail.com. Reporting for this week's episode came from Daniel Carden, as well as Andrew Jones, and myself, Kale Wilk. We'd like to thank Vera Maluznik for taking the time to speak with Dan, and, in turn, contribute to this week's podcast. We'd also like to thank Summer Moore, the Times' digital and audience engagement editor, who is not a demagogue or dictator, but also not chalked up to be a figurehead. Rather, she's our commander-in-chief that helps sign our podcasts into posts. Finally, we'd like to encourage all of you to please, please remember to vote tomorrow. Use your privilege and make your voice heard. It counts. I'm Andrew Jones. I'm K.L. Wilk. And from both of us here in Northwest Indiana, thank you very much for listening. And we'll see you next week.